Today on Grub Stakers, we're going to be talking about Bill Ackman, the charismatic star of the Netflix documentary Betting on Zero. We're going to be talking about his humble beginnings, his feud and tempestuous relationship with Carl Icahn, as well as how he's a crusader for people who have been screwed by Herbalife, and simultaneously the Martin Scarelli of people not named Martin Scarelli. So settle in and buckle up, because it's time for some grub stakers. Because of my success in the private sector, I had the chance to run America's largest city for 12 years. I taught those kids lessons on product development and marketing, and they taught me what it was like growing up feeling targeted for your race. And that's just, that's just not true. You know, I love having the support of real billionaires. Hey everybody, welcome to Grubstakers. We're back, we're back at it, right here, uh, Sean P. McCarthy, joined as always by my friends, Steve Jeffrey, Andy Palmer, Yogi Polywell. And uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, Bill Ackman, uh, a hedge fund billionaire um, and star of the Netflix documentary Betting on Zero, which is the fascinating story of his bet against uh, Herbalife. And uh, we're going to kind of go over that and just uh, other things that are not quite talked about in the documentary. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can do that all uh, before the Trump blows up the world. I was I was thinking about this the other day because we talked about this in the group chat is that like we it would take us 19. Years, there's about 2000 billionaires in the world. And the goal in this podcast, I think, is I would like to cover and uh, just provide a resource to learn about all of the billionaires in the world. Right. It would take us about 19 years. And I'm realizing we might have to truncate it a bit. <laughs> just like. We might have to like compress multiple people into one episode or do like 20 minutes each in the interest of getting this all done before New York City is a, um, <clears throat> uh, what do you call it, a parking lot? Sure, sure. A teenage wasteland, if yeah. you will. <laughs> but um, but uh, yeah, we hope, uh, we, we'll be doing a you special- You the term as Bob O'Reilly. <laughs> Wait, we're, we're continuing the pod if we get attacked, right? Yeah, I think so. We, the, the, the sound quality might go down. You might hear like- like screams and cries in the background oh, and well, kind well, of a, well, a we'll tinny sound. <laughs> we have EMP proofed our equipment. Just like you a, just need to own a can and string and you well, can get on our network. If I started my work day and then there's a nuclear explosion, assuming I survive, my first question would be, so I guess the pod's off this week? <laughs> <laughs> We're like, no, Stephen, you got to get out of the fallout shelter. We promise them new episodes every Sunday. This is how you lose audience when you don't consistently put out That's episodes right. after right. a nuclear attack. It's quantity. It's consistency. Sean and I do in our uh, de facto fallout shelter, which is our basement, uh-huh. uh, we do have podcasting equipment down there. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. So it's just Andy and I this week. It looks like uh, Steven and Yogi were melted in the <laughs> event. <laughs> um, but uh, we're going to talk about Carl Icahn. You know, all his net worth is uh, now non-existent because the <laughs> banking system has collapsed. <laughs> but uh, he is, was technically a billionaire, and uh, we, may, we did the research. You may know Carl Icahn as uh, one of the haunting shadows in downtown <laughs> Manhattan. <laughs> 
of people who have been incinerated. Yeah, I don't know if you saw that uh, that black splotch on a wall, but that that used to be Carl Icahn <laughs> on the side of uh, the Chase building. Before all the bombs, we had about eight printers uh. printing all of Wikipedia, so we really made sure to cover our bases on the research. Uh. But yeah, uh, so next weekend, I think the plan is we're going to do a special episode on the weapons industry, and we'll uh, talk a bit more about uh, you know Trump's uh, bombing of Syria and, and that whole situation there. But uh, today, we're, we're talking about Bill Ackman. Um, and Bill Ackman, again, uh, the documentary on Netflix, I really recommend. It's uh, very good, uh, pretty depressing. It's called Betting on Zero. And they talk a bit about Herbalife's uh, business practices and this uh, big uh, short sell bet that Bill Ackman made against them, he ultimately lost a I lot of money. I don't know why Sean thought it was depressing. I found it very uplifting. The I Herbalife, think that how I, they're helping the Latino I community the start Latino small community. businesses that go under in like a uh, year. I, <laughs> I, I do, I do want to say that we started this podcast with the question, is there a good billionaire? Yeah. And I watched the documentary and I was like, yeah, it's Bill Ackman. <laughs> answered that question he is a hero and i think we can wrap wrap this up for good (laughs) it's nice like if you watch the documentary and know nothing else about bill ackman he comes away pretty well he does you know and uh the documentary or the the episode today i think we'll talk about some of the other things that uh bill ackman does but i guess just to bring people what yeah (laughs) believe it or not a guy (laughs) worth more than a billion dollars uh more things have happened to him than just the two-year span of his life chronicled in a netflix documentary no he's saving the latino community (laughs) i mean not everyone's cut out for business sean okay the latino community is not being swindled by these billionaires okay they just need to work harder all right they just themselves up by their chom (laughs) club So, okay, so I guess we should uh, start from the beginning here. So uh, if you haven't seen the documentary, basically it goes through Herbalife's business practices. And Herbalife is a a pyramid scheme. I mean, uh, allegedly or whatever. It's a multi-level marketing company. Right. Which, for some reason, there's like a distinction between like the good kind of multi-level marketing. Well, the idea with the FDA... TC, the Federal Trade Commission, their their way of setting this out is that if they make more of their money by recruiting other people into it than they do by actually selling their products, then that's when it passes from a multi-level marketing scheme into a pyramid scheme. Right. Uh, there's a very thin line between the two, and it's pretty clear that there are multiple huge pyramid schemes, particularly Herbalife and Amway, operating completely unhindered today. Um, <clears throat> allegedly, uh, you know, it's sort of like send those cease and desist notices to Yogi Polywall. <laughs> it's like if they you had uh, you bought a McDonald's franchise, uh-huh. and the only way you could make money off of your McDonald's franchise was selling three of your friends McDonald's <laughs> franchises. <laughs> the only way they could make money is by selling three of their friends McDonald's franchises. And you only make burgers for other McDonald's franchisees. Yeah, yeah. To convince them to open McDonald's yeah. franchises. Yeah, that yeah. product to sell to other right. people. Right. Okay, but yeah, so just to like, and, and kind of what they go through in this documentary is, among other things, you know, Herbalife has had a lot of sales pitches where they tell people, oh, you can become a millionaire or you can make any amount of money. And then they go through very clearly in the documentary, like how this is a pyramid scheme, where they say like 1% of Her- Herbalife members get 88% of all the money. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching it and I'm being like, Oh, that's the U.S. economy. <laughs> like, oh, oh, so that's the pyramid scheme yeah. is they just mirror the actual U.S. economy. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of interesting where it's like the way uh, it actually works is like you uh, you get money from sales made by your downstreams. And Amway kind of works the same way where 
Herbalife has, you know, these nutritional products, uh, the the protein bars. Allegedly the, nutritional yes, products. <laughs> the protein bars, the, the powder shakes, and all these things. And essentially, they just sell them for like three times the cost that you get like a Slim Fast or whatever other market alternative. But you can't buy these in stores anywhere. You can only buy these from actual Herbalife vendors, right. you know? And so every- They're actually prohibited from- selling to like retail stores mm-hmm. right right shopping malls right so uh these vendors uh they can sell these products that are like not that good and three times the price of comparables but the real way they make money is recruiting other people to sell their products because everybody they recruit they get a cut of their sales and it just goes higher and higher up the pyramid and it's a pyramid scheme i will say the ballsiest pyramid scheme is probably cutco <laughs> Because <laughs> they're selling their their pyramid scheme is selling knives, right? Yeah, most people in Cutco aren't making a lot of money or losing money, and now they have right. lots of knives. Yeah, and they just found out that they got screwed, yep. and have a lot of very Ex- sharp like, knives. With Herbalife, I I don't think they said they didn't have much bad to say about the actual product. I mean. They said it was like overpriced uh, Slim Fast, basically. Yeah, it cost a little too much. It cost three point, times as much. At one point, on Bill average. in the doc says, like, uh, like have you tried... One of the interviewers, I think it was CNBC, says, like, have you tried their products? Like, uh, no. I've heard some shady stuff about how they make their stuff. I mean, like, the reality is that, you know, you can put a powder in a box and say it's healthy, and just off the placebo effect, it could work. And nobody's using these products, so it doesn't need to work as well. Mm-hmm. Um, They're just selling it to each other. Yeah. Within the Herbalife company, sort of. It's like kind of like selling off like a jerk off glove. Like, <laughs> no one's gonna use it, but right. you can pretend like oh, it's got its own lube. And uh, you know, trust me, it's good for your butt too. Hey, don't, don't bad mouth jerk off gloves. What? On our podcast. <laughs> Have you guys been a part of a pyramid scheme ever? Any of y'all? Uh, when I first moved to New York, some dude tried to... I, I didn't have a job, and I was looking on Craigslist, and some guy's like, yeah, hey, meet me at a coffee shop. I got a job. And then he tries to recruit me to Amway. And at the time, I didn't really know about it. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to do some research. And he's like, well, you shouldn't just Google us. <laughs> <laughs> and he actually said to me, I remember this, he said, um, you know, if you Google Oprah, you'll read bad things about Oprah. <laughs> That's and so like, funny. Oh, is uh, Oprah engaged in a uh, multi-level marketing scheme? <laughs> when yeah. he, uh, Bill, Bill Ackman noticed that Herbalife was, in fact, a multi-level marketing pyramid scheme. Mm-hmm. And that forms the basis of his idea to short the company. Hmm. Yeah, well, um, and so we mentioned the storefronts, like, and the recruiting the Latino community. Just like another interesting thing in that documentary is like they talk about how Herbalife uh, sales, you know, a lot of it focuses on like Spanish-speaking people and undocumented people because, interestingly enough. Uh, when those people get scammed, they're uh, not as likely to go to the authorities. Right. And, you know, of course, you know, all this belief in, you know, American dream and hard work. And they, you know, everybody responds to the sales pitch that, like, if you just work super hard, you can make money when you're all the way at starting at the bottom of the pyramid. And, yeah, um, in the doc, they also but, talk about, like, how, like, when you get fucked over, you feel so terrible. You don't want to tell anyone until you find out that, oh, other people got fucked over. Then I, I want to be, I want to admit that I got right. fucked. Well, but it's, I, it's well, really embarrassing to realize that. You're just not hustling hard enough. <laughs> you just didn't rise and grind enough. You gotta grind. You, you gotta like, grind. You did the rising, but not every day you did the grinding. <laughs> but uh, my favorite shit they do in that documentary, and you see this all the time with like just uh, how amorphous woke politics are, 
is at various points, Herbalife uh, uh, spokespeople are accused of, you know, predatory practices against the Latino community. And they, they get really defensive and they say like, well, it's just racist to imply that our Latino customers do not know what they are doing, you know? <laughs> like, I just think it's so condescending that these people think that we are preying on, on undocumented non-English speakers because, you know, they're saying that they're less intelligent or right. whatever. Yeah, at one point one of them was like, a grocery store opens in a poor community and people people applaud it and we're doing the same things by providing nutrition to poor we're, people we're charging three times more and <laughs> i don't see the problem oh god um but yeah i mean herbalife is a, a terrible company um but uh uh bill ackman who's uh, really the subject of this episode um he makes a bet uh, a short sell bet where so let's let's describe a short sell real quick yeah, yeah so if i if i had to break it down in so few words it's um Selling high and buying low. <laughs> so you're borrowing stocks from someone at maybe at a premium or something that you so, don't own. And so then you sell like, them high. I'll loan you my stocks. You'll pay me some interest for them. Yeah. You're taking out a loan, basically. You sell the stock with the idea that it'll go down. And then when you buy it back, you'll spend less money on it. And so you'll be able to take a cut of the amount you sold it for. Right. So at the end of that whole process, the other the person, the broker who helped lend you the stock gets it back and just for the premium right yeah. but and then the uh the problem with that is like you can lose a lot of money if the stock goes up because right. you've borrowed it and you're liable for the difference if the stock price goes up it instead of with a long what, what'd you do with it sean <laughs> shut up you borrow <laughs> you, you dug a deep borrow. hole with it <laughs> Oh, did you get yeah. did you have some maple syrup? No, no more making show? fun of how I pronounce words on the podcast. <laughs> Fucking Putin, drop the H-bomb now. <laughs> Don't say that too loud. We're literally recording this. <laughs> yeah. So it's inherently risky because you could, you could lose an infinite number because the stock price could go up to whatever. Right. And it can only fall to zero. Because mm-hmm. so eventually you have to buy it back, and so you have to have the amount of money to pay for that stock right yep and the more the stock price goes up above whatever price it you struck it at with the the broker the like increasingly more you have to pay due to how highly leveraged you are and i learned this from uh shorting penny stocks (laughs) 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 it's gonna go to a fraction of a penny yeah that's right Uh, and it turns out that uh putting twenty thousand dollars into shorting penny stocks Makes you liable for $5 million. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Andy used to go by Gustavo. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. Well, so yeah. Uh, so the the point of this documentary is, I think in 2014 or 2015, Bill Ackman makes this big short sale bet against Herbalife. He has a series of presentations about, um, you know, how Herbalife is a pyramid scheme, and uh, he tries to get regulators involved. And uh, at the end, uh, which will I think we'll go through the timeline later, but he ends up losing about a billion dollars on this bet. Right. And um, it's partly... Owned. (laughs) Uh, And there's there's a variety of factors for it, um, but one of which is that uh, Carl Icahn uh, is another billionaire who we'll talk about on a future episode. The Um, killmonger of the documentary. Right. (laughs) 
him and uh, the real hero. <laughs> him and Bill Ackman had a dispute like uh, ten years before the events, and then he sees that Bill Ackman is in a big uh, short sell position, and he realizes, oh, I can just spend billions of dollars buying this stock and make him lose money because, as we discussed, that's what happens when stock price goes up uh, when you're short selling. Uh, Bill Ackman describes. Uh, or how Carl Icahn. Carl Icahn. Bill Eichmann. Carl Icahn describes Bill Ackman. And I'm telling you, he's like the crybaby in the schoolyard. You know, I went to a tough school in Queens that they used to beat up the little Jewish boys, and he was like one of these little Jewish boys. <laughs> uh, this is a uh, there's a great uh, CNBC uh, phone interview with both of them where they uh, yell at each other for 30 minutes, um, and this is in the middle of the Herbalife thing. And they play. Wait, you said okay, to Carl. me you'd you'd like to be friends so that we could invest together. Uh, Carl, I have no interest. Uh, do you think I want to invest with you? Okay, let's, let's <laughs> move I would on. invest with you. Let's, let's you move on. You were the last man on earth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they're BFFs. Yeah. They should do a series called Investment Activist Getting Coffee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it may be, maybe when the nuke comes, they will be the last men on earth and they can invest together. I, I would watch a series they get, with both of them. They get That's a sad. fire starting company, <laughs> a rock a rock structure company. So you're going to insult me and I'm going to insult you and we're going to make money on the stock market. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then we're going to well, fuck because we have needs. Uh, there's no one else here. Um, but so, uh, I guess, uh, when I said beat up Jewish boys, I meant beat off Jewish boys. <laughs> um, they would whine. All right, move on, Chuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so we'll, we'll get... Apparently Eichmann was, uh, Jewish and that makes his comment his okay. Yeah, it's yeah, not anti-Semitic, it's just anti-himself. It's, right. it's self-hating, <laughs> anti-Semitism. No, you don't understand, Andy. He didn't like the crying Jewish yes, boys. Yes, right. <laughs> Not all the Jewish boys, just the crying oh. ones. You can say any group sucks if you just add certain adjectives before it. like <laughs> The crying it, Mexicans. Yes, That's precisely. what Herbalife said. Yes. We don't like the crying yeah. Latinos. <laughs> Man, there's. I hate to go back to it, but in that doc, there is that one scene where one of the uh, Mexican uh, store owners who's left... Like shows you the dude who fucked him over, and that guy like comes out. He's like, "Oh hey!" Like, and then realizes like, "Oh, there's a camera in that car. Like, I should probably go back inside my store." <laughs> but like this dude, you see him drive off, just like motherfucker. I can drive up to your store whenever I want. Like, yeah. I, there's a very like Sopranos feel to how that episode, uh, the that part of the documentary plays out. Well, um, so uh, Bill Ackman, and we mentioned in the documentary, and and uh, um, he's worth as of today, uh, April 2018, Forbes has him at 1.08 billion. Um, in 2015, yeah, in 2015, he was like two billion. Can we so short bet against Bill Ackman's <laughs> net worth? Just his personal <laughs> net worth. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I mean, uh, he seems to not be doing so great, which we'll get into. Um, but a uh, uh, funny thing. So as we mentioned, he's kind of like comes off as the hero in the documentary but just like a few funny scene uh, one funny scene i liked at the end he visits this uh, latino church of uh, uh people who have been harmed by herbalife and you know because he's like the person making this crusade against herbalife it's like a come together moment and he talks about like the testimonials and how emotional it is and i, I remember there's like a, a man there who tells him that he lost twenty thousand dollars in herbalife and bill ackman's like so sympathetic and i'm like 
this guy could just give him $20,000. Right, right, right. <laughs> like right now, it would be like yeah. if somebody was telling me, like, I lost my net worth of $1. <laughs> I could just reach into my wallet and be like, okay, you'll be all right. right. <laughs> but Bill Ackman, you know, and all billionaires really are just so divorced from the world that they're not like, oh, I could just write a check for $20,000. Uh, you know, it's how much I spend in a fucking restaurant on a weekend. Yeah, that's the thing about the crazy about this is, you know, to be a good billionaire... You just have to help yourself. Yeah. Like, in the in reality of it, it's like a, a bad billionaire fucks everyone and benefits. A good billionaire is like, I'm kind of helping everyone, but mostly myself. Like, <laughs> yeah. literally every person Ackman talks to in this, you he could give, uh, you know what, a couple of grand. And they would be much better off. And honestly, he could have not made this documentary and just given them money and never talked about any of this. <laughs> I would appreciate it. That's not his style, though. He's... At, it, he's uh, they talked about him like he's a master manipulator of the media, right? Which is a great phrase, right? Well, I, it's uh, he does have a talent for it. He's a he's a he's a moderately char- charismatic guy, and you know journalists like him because he's got like the Anderson Cooper look and all that, and you know he seems like he knows what he's talking about. There's a uh, Business Insider article talking <laughs> about like top five t- 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 uh, tips about not tips. Let me take that entire thing again. There's this Business Insider uh, article about the top things you don't know about him, and one of them says. Him quoting himself, I'm a good conversationalist, Ackman once said. How do you get such a good conversationalist? It comes from a lot of blind dating. That's his, <laughs> yeah, I've been trying to slang my dick around New York for a while. And you know what? Makes you good about talking about yourself. Okay, Cupid. Yeah, right. Yeah, right, right. There's a picture from Machu Picchu. How'd you become such a good conversationalist? Oh, I've got herpes like four times. <laughs> you see, being a billionaire in New York... You gotta learn how to slang that dick, you know? I mean, even though I'm in a relationship for 25 years, more importantly, though, the women I blind dated before that's what made me such a good conversationalist. I'm a great conversationalist because I'm cheating on my wife. (laughs) You meet so many interesting women when you cheat on your wife. You learn people you'd never learn about. Um... (laughs) But uh, so I guess uh, let's get into the biography just to kind of go through the timeline of uh, Bill Ackman's life. Uh, He's born uh, 1966 in uh, Chappaqua, New York. Um, And this guy had a very privileged upbringing. Um, His grandfather founded a real estate financing firm that's today, it's still operational, known as Ackman Ziff Real Estate Group, LLC. His grandfather. Ackman Ziff. (laughs) His grandfather founded this real estate. Only podcast in the 90s. (laughs) His grandfather founded this in 1926. So this is a uh, a long history. And then his his father took over and was president of this. Uh, before his father leaves in 2011 to go work at uh, Bill Ackman's company, his son's company. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he is. Uh, so his father has an MBA from Harvard. Uh, Bill Ackman also has an MBA from Harvard. That's right. He, uh, he gets a, a magna cum laude uh, uh, BA in history from Harvard in 1988, Bill Ackman does. And... Uh, <laughs> Would you like to know the name of his uh, thesis? Yeah. Scaling the Ivy Wall, the Jewish and Asian American experience in Harvard admissions. And, uh, whoa, you know, whoa, 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 whoa. I went to a tough school in Queens. <laughs> I used to beat up the little Jewish boys. Say the thesis again. Say the title of that bullshit. Scaling the Ivy Wall, the Jewish and Asian American experience in Harvard admissions. That is, that is disgusting. 
That is uh, one of the worst things I've ever read, uh, and I've never even read that. That's yeah. terrible. Scaling the ivy wall. I like that. Man, that's so funny. I mean, personally, as an Indian person, I hate this because Asia is literally a good quarter of the world, and the Jewish population is less than the population in New York. And it's like, I think it's very frustrating that those two groups are being tied in this article, as if somehow the experience of Jewish people and Asian people are similar in that way. Yeah. No, I mean, it's just kind of funny to me because, like, I haven't read his thesis statement because why would I do that to myself? But... um, (laughs) But just the title itself, like scaling the Ivy Wall, God. it's like your father has an it's MBA from your father has an MBA from Harvard. Oh, I'm sure it was so hard for you to get right. into Harvard. Right. Um, so, uh, father, they are father. making me write a statement of purpose, father. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the, so there was actually father. Uh, you told me there would be no wall to scale. <laughs> So, this is good content for my thesis. <laughs> I must go to the study. Matilda! <laughs> um, so uh, uh, there was a Forward.com article um, where uh, uh, both uh, Bill Ackman and his father uh, sat down together for like a talk um, uh, in New York, I think in 2015. Um, and so Ackman Ziff Real Estate, it's a privately held company. It still exists. We don't know like how much business they did and these kinds of things. But we do know that when Ackman went to start his first um, hedge fund, Gotham uh, Partners, he was able to just get $3 million to start a hedge fund, which again... <laughs> it's a common theme. Yes, <laughs> common theme. Through family and, and friends. Yeah, through family friends. <laughs> Small donations. This should become yeah. a meme on this show. <laughs> but, um, but It so, reflected his uh, early dream to become the Penguin. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but so uh, they do this father-son talk together, um, and they ta- he talked a bit about uh, Ackman Ziff real estate, and uh, his father said it really got prosperous after the Korean War. Again, it was founded in 1926, but I'm just quoting from, uh, from forward here. Uh, his father says it really got prosperous after the Korean War with demand for apartments in Manhattan. Um, he describes all the different parcels sold to... Um, uh, developers, uh, deal after deal after deal. Um, Does he say why the Korean War? I guess all the returning troops or the economic boom. You see, Andy, when you have to cross this ivy wall <laughs> <laughs> and you're Jewish or Asian, you really learn to appreciate the dichotomy between the two. Matilda, by the way, isn't her real name. It's Lupe. <laughs> but the but, family calls her Matilda. It turns out all the shocked or the, the shell-shocked GIs who constantly had flashbacks <laughs> of the 500 <laughs> Chinese people, each one killed, uh, were very easy to uh, screw over in the, with upscale rent. Yeah, they they became prosperous after the Korean War because uh, they went, <laughs> they they took a deal with the CIA to uh, help throw a guy out of one of their apartment windows <laughs> to cover up <laughs> biological warfare. After <laughs> yeah, so that, InQtel became their largest shareholder. <laughs> um, Wait a second, isn't also that the era when like redlining became a big thing? Yeah, probably. Yeah, <laughs> but but we digress. Yes, we do digress. The point is. Um, uh, the company was started in 26. Uh, it had some trouble in the Great Depression, but it came out of the Great Depression in 39. And then by the end of the Korean War in 53, it was extremely profitable and doing well. So 
Bill Ackman was born in 66. He was born into a lot of privilege. And the one other uh, great quote from this uh, joint father-son talk is Bill Ackman talking about his his career path. So he graduates from Harvard uh, in in 1988, and he he recalls in uh, this Forward article, he says, quote, I couldn't get a job. When I graduated from Harvard, so I went to work for my dad. I worked for you for two years. Uh, Then went to business school, and you wanted me to come back, and I came back for one week, then chose to go out on my own. So basically, you know, his his struggle was he couldn't find a job after he graduated from Harvard, so he went to work for his father's multi-million dollar (laughs) uh, real estate financing firm, and then he had $3 million to go found his own hedge fund. Papa, I enjoy the buildings too. Uh, The job market, it's so hard when you're a white Jewish man. (laughs) Just like it is for the Asians. (laughs) Um, I wrote about it in my thesis. So, Bill Ackman... Full disclosure, after college, I also went to work for my dad, and it was part-time and minimum wage. (laughs) I told, actually, a mutual friend of ours who might listen, uh, Nam, that, uh, and he just laughed in my face and was like, man, there is no nepotism there. Maybe your father just doesn't love you enough, Andy. <laughs> your father never taught you how to scale the ivy wall. <laughs> I once got a raise when minimum wage got increased. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining your own, Andy's... Your dad, your dad will only pay you what's legally required. Right. Yeah. I'm imagining Andy's father like bitching about having to pay him more. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I got to give my useless son $10 an hour now. You try to start a politicians. It was It was nine. <laughs> <laughs> Andy just comes in and there's like a Milton Friedman article on his dad <laughs> about how the minimum wage is like price controls and price controls never work. <laughs> I did tell my dad, I'm like, I'm getting a raise. He's like, yeah, that's just because the state legislature wanted you to get one. <laughs> Um, all right, so uh, Bill Ackman gets an MBA from Harvard in 1992, and uh, the same year he graduates, he starts Gotham Partners, his first hedge fund, uh, in 1992 with Harvard classmates, da- classmate David Berkowitz. Uh, as we've mentioned... Thank you for the job, Dad, by the way. <laughs> as we've mentioned, uh, according to Routers and some other people, they had about $3 million in startup capital, friends and family, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and they... Did mediocre. Friends uh, and family is a trust fund, by the way. <laughs> um, uh, if we have time at the end, we'll talk a little bit just about the hedge fund business in general. But just to give you the long and short, like um, the model. Good one. Uh, <laughs> uh, so the hedge fund model is usually called the two and twenty model, and the idea is that though they've had to re- decrease their fees recently, but the idea is that a hedge fund you put your money there, um, and they charge you two percent a year of uh, of all assets that you put with them, and then they charge you twenty percent of all profits they make for you. Um, and if you compare that to say an equities traded fund or exchange traded fund uh, with the S&P 500, for example, uh, then the management fee is 0.1% a year, and they don't charge you a cut of the profits. It can be higher, but yeah, yes. it's overall much cheaper yes. than your average hedge fund. Right. And we were talking earlier about how hedge funds uh, are kind of like a value transfer scheme between the bourgeoisie, where it's like he's able to raise $3 million because he knows a lot of rich people and they can uh, invest in there. And, uh, you know, like, I think my opinion is successful hedge funds are basically entirely based around insider trading. Uh, 
maybe a controversial opinion, but this is from what I've read of it. But uh, so Gotham Partners starts in 92 and uh, they have some kind of mediocre returns like they lose money some years, some years. And this is the 90s boom, by the way. Some years they make like, you know, 14 percent gain. But again, the stock market uh, S&P 500 will be doing like close to that without, you know, any fees or without significant fees. Um, but what does uh, Gotham Partners in is uh, they buy a golf course. Uh, a golf company that's losing money mm -hmm. in 1997 um they buy a golf course operator and rename it to golf uh, gotham golf um and then this is from business insider um they were taken down by the batman <laughs> <laughs> uh from business insider as uh, as time passed the value of its assets declined but ackman and his partner kept buying up more golf courses the company got bigger and deeper into debt uh, and then uh, you won't get away with buying all these golf courses. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, <laughs> you are raised in a golf course. <laughs> I was born there. Your punishment must be more severe. <laughs> you will watch the masters. <laughs> <laughs> Even when Tiger is not participating. <laughs> Um, okay, you can all riff on this, but not Palantir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, okay, so... Uh, he, we have to read the Samurai. <laughs> <and then laughs> to, no one joined me. In, all right, you, can't do, you can't do a Bane riff on Palantir. It doesn't make any sense. Um, so, as uh, according to the New York Times, Gotham Golf eventually accounted for 20% of the firm's assets, the fund's assets, Uh it sank deeper into trouble. From 2000 to 2002, according to the New York Times, uh, uh, Gotham Partners Hedge Fund lent Gotham Golf $15.4 million. Um, so they, they keep lending money to this money-losing golf operation. They keep buying up more golf courses. And then finally, uh, Bill Ackman comes up with the idea to um, merge... So he owns, they also owned this company, uh, the cash, uh, First Union Real Estate Equity and Mortgage, according to Business Insider. And uh, Bill Ackman comes up the idea to merge his golf company with uh, this cash-rich uh, um, equity and mortgage company. But the uh, shareholders of the equity mortgage company sue uh, to stop the merger from going through. A judge blocks it temporarily, and then um, <clears throat> Gotham Partners runs out of money, essentially. So you're saying Gotham Partners uh, is in the hole in one. <laughs> uh, so Bill Ackman has to uh, um, wind down the hedge fund in 2002, but uh, not before get engaging in a potential pump and dump scheme. Um, Gotham Partners, in the uh, because they're losing all this money on this golf company, they ha they don't have any liquid assets, so they start having to sell things. So weird things happens where. Gotham throughout, um, I think, late 2002 uh, keeps issuing like glowing reports about this company prepaid and, you know, having buy recommendations on their site and, you know, saying all these and like publishing press articles promoting prepaid. But then in December 11, 2002, uh, although again, this is quoting from the New York Times, uh, although the Gotham website still carried a recommendation for prepaid and an estimated per share value of 67 Gotham Partners began selling, shedding 10% uh, of its position at around $30 a share. Um, and then they eventually sell the rest of it at the end of December. Uh, and then on December 23rd, the research 
and the buy recommendation disappears from their website. Um, oh, really? Yeah. The you pre- see, the lower the score, the better you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, the idea is... What happened here is you can either say they're doing a pump and dump where they're putting out all this information with buy recommendations and, you know, talking about how great this company is while they're selling it. But they would argue and they have argued that, oh, we were in a uh, tough position and we needed liquid assets. So we were only selling it because we had nothing else to sell. And uh, Elliot Spitzer, the attorney general of New York at the time, looked into this. He ultimately didn't charge them criminally, but it was kind of a black mark. And it was, uh, you know, why does it got to be black? (laughs) It's kind of a Jewish mark. What? You think of the board meeting. Cut they're, that. They're <laughs> You're editing, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> you think of the board meeting. They're like, well, uh, returns have not been on par. And then they all have a good laugh. You <laughs> know, <laughs> no, but we are losing money. <laughs> as someone who read uh, like four articles on this, I will say Reuters has the headline, Judge Calls Four. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Andy Palmer's humor would make him a great newspaper man. I've been saying that for a long time. Print uh, is dead. <laughs> well, they use golf rules for the EPS estimate. The lower the better. <laughs> uh, like but so, yeah, Gotham Partners goes under. And then, uh, as we mentioned, Carl Icahn, this is where the feud develops. So basically, um, as he's going down, in 2003, uh, Ackman enters in this deal with Carl Icahn. Uh, and then Ackman... It's a real Haldeman-Ehrlichman yes. duo. But uh, Ackman says... So basically... Carl Icahn won't pay him. Like, they enter into this deal that if preconditions are met, um, Icahn's supposed to uh, sell. It's like uh, they called it schmuck insurance, basically. If Icahn were to sell shares within three years um, and make a profit of 10% or more, him and Ackman would split the proceeds. Uh, Icahn does, but then he just refuses to give Ackman money, which is kind of funny. You know, alpha move. Um, and then, of course... Uh, you know, I went to a tough school in Queens. <laughs> I used to beat up the little Jewish boys. <laughs> um, but so Ackman sues, and eventually, eight years later, Icahn is forced to pay Ackman $4.5 million plus 9% interest per year since the date of the sale. So Ackman sues him and eventually gets his money, but this is like... This uh, causes a big feud between them, and eventually it will cause uh, Icon to just fuck him over on the Herbalife deal. Petty. Oh, yeah. And so it's, petty. It's the greatest thing because, again, like today, uh, Carl Icon's worth something like 17 plus billion dollars. And again, this is $4.5 million that yeah, he owed to him. Right. And it, 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 this is just like. Most people, that's like $2 or right, something. Right, exactly. And he's just like, <laughs> no, Relatively. fuck you. Yeah. I'm running up my high score. But yeah, no, just like kind of a, a fun... Uh, Always be hustling. <laughs> the best thing is, so this hedge fund collapses and winds down in 2003. And then, of course, because there's no consequences to being a failure if you're like born on, you know, third base. <laughs> right. uh, he's immediately, in 2004, able to start an- uh, another hedge fund. Born per- fingering. <laughs> Pershing Square Capital Management. He starts in... Uh, no, he said oral. <laughs> Uh, he starts Pershing Square Capital Management a it's year. A little bit of both, if you do it right. <laughs> uh, a year after the failure, he starts uh, Pershing Square Capital Management in 2004, which is, is quoting from Wikipedia, with 54 million in funding from his personal funds and former business partner, uh, Lacadia National. He starts Pershing Square Capital Management in 2004, and uh, well, just to uh, I guess skip ahead, uh, Pershing Square is. Uh, capital management is not doing so well today uh, 
the hedge fund, uh, I'm just quoting from Forbes here, uh, the $8.8 billion hedge fund has underperformed the S&P 500 by 20% for three years straight. Nice. And uh, the year before that uh, starts, 2014, they post a respectable 40% gain, uh, which would ultimately lead to an insider trading case uh, that they have to settle in a California lawsuit, uh, which we'll talk about briefly. But um, basically, they do mediocre. Well, they actually do pretty good in all in most terms. But eventually, they make some horrible deals. And I want to talk a bit about the insider trading case uh, because that leads into the other thing they did, which is kind of a Martin Shkreli move. Um, so in 2014, uh, Pershing uh, enters into a secret deal um, with um, Valiant Pharmaceuticals, which we'll talk about more. But so uh, Valiant Pharmaceuticals wants to buy this company, uh, Allergan, which was the makers of Botox. And so the idea is that uh, um, Valiant doesn't have the capital uh, by themselves. Steven, we can hear your breathing. Yes, Steven. (laughs) Sorry, I was just like... I'm just incensed by this. (laughs) I understand. I just wanted to point that out. But so, so, okay, the timeline of this is in February 2014, uh, Pershing and Valiant Pharmaceuticals enter in this deal where Pershing's going to buy 9% of Allergan, and then Valiant is going to announce a, uh, a, a hostile takeover and take over the company. Um, so uh, in uh, February 2014, Pershing does buy the 9% stake for $3 billion. Um, in April, Valiant announces their uh, hostile takeover and a uh, $45 billion bid. And of course, this shoots the stock price up. Eventually, um, Allergan is sold instead to a Dublin company for $66 billion. And um, Pershing Capital is able to cash out after this stock price has been pushed uh, all the way up. But essentially, this is alleged to be insider trading. And eventually, they settled the insider trading case because um, Pershing Capital knew that the pharmaceutical company uh, Valiant was going to make a hostile takeover bid in April and bid up the stock price. And so using that non-public information, they bought a large stake in February. And eventually they were sued by shareholders and they settled for $270 million, I believe. And uh, so basically that's just kind of like a classic case of insider trading. And I think this kind of thing's pretty endemic uh, in Wall Street and hedge funds in general. Uh, yeah, the that was in the year that they returned forty percent. Right? right. Yes. So, so it was, I mean, that's uh, as if you just say that's a cost of doing business. It's still a pretty good year. Mm-hmm. But yes. So essentially, that was the last year of good returns they had. Was the year that they did this kind of insider trading scheme. Um, but so. What happens after this is after he enters into uh, after Bill Ackman enters in this deal with Valiant Pharmaceuticals, he wants to uh, invest in Valiant Pharmaceuticals itself. So in March 2015, about a and year after, expand to Prince Valiant Pharmaceuticals. <laughs> in March 2015, uh, Pershing uh, Capital he bu- uses comics to guide his investments. Uh, so in March 2015, Bill Ackman enters into the worst deal of his career. He, he buys, uh, he begins buying uh, Valiant Pharmaceuticals, eventually acquires almost a 10% stake uh, for about $3.2 billion. And um, as well as Beetle Bailey Construction. <laughs> uh, uh, two years later, he would take a $4 billion loss on this. Um, basically, Valiant uh, peaks at 200. He buys it at 190 a share. It peaks at 260 a share, and he sells it for $11 a share in April 2018. Uh, as of today, it's around $17. 
Um, and so the reason is um, Valiant is uh, kind of a Martin Shkreli company. If I can just find this uh, New York Times quote here. In interviews, he said he regretted uh, not investing in get fuzzy weapons manufacturers um, or Foxtrot Consulting Solutions. So, he did take a, a jug, short... Jughead pos- Logistics? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So basically, Valiant's business practice... Uh, Jughead Logistics? <laughs> Valiant's business practice, which... That's uh, great. Valiant's Thank business practice, which he, which he fully knew about going into this, uh, is basically buying up existing drugs and existing drug companies and pharmaceuticals, uh, laying off all their employees to achieve savings, and then jacking up the prices of drugs that they own. That's uh, classic corporate raider yeah. behavior. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, fire everyone and jack up prices. Didn't they cut out all Take research as well? Yes. Yes. It's kind of fun. So uh, I'm quoting from an October 4, 2015 New York Times article. Valiant is known for buying companies and laying off their employees to achieve savings. Uh, it's accumulated a debt of about $30 billion. It, has sent, it spends an amount equivalent to only 3% of its sales on research and development, which it views as risky and inefficient <laughs> compared with buying existing drugs. Uh, traditional big drug companies spend 15 to 20% of sales on research and development. Uh, Valiant also pays extremely low taxes because it is officially based in Canada, although its CEO, Michael Pearson, operates from New Jersey. And Mr. Pearson, I believe, had uh, was one of the highest paid. He was the highest paid CEO in Canada. He was making something like a hundred some billion a year. Uh, what? Uh, sorry, a hundred some mil. That makes more sense, John. Yeah, I know. Jesus. Um, but what if he was making hundred some bill, but he had like a crippling jet ski addiction? <laughs> jet skis, eh? <laughs> yeah. He would just, you know, buy them by the thousands and then try to ride every single one over the course of a oh, week rig them all up together yeah incidentally bill right. ackman's had a divorce as well i don't know if we try you want to talk about what you're talking about you want to do some more reading wait well, first i want to i want to note something that's kind of great is that bill the the story of valiant pharmaceuticals we, we talked about bill ackman having a whole documentary about him short selling herbal life right uh the valiant pharmaceuticals story is actually uh uh chronicled in a different netflix documentary (laughs) uh, about uh, a trader who was short selling uh valiant pharmaceuticals which makes bill ackman the only person that i know of to have a netflix documentary both on him taking a short position and being shorted on (laughs) (laughs) Uh, <laughs> yes. That's why he's the next Buffett He's just making moves, <laughs> shaking things But so basically, well just a little bit more on Valiant before we move on But basically, the Valiant business model, again this is Also the, unlike his Herbalife position, uh, the, the Valiant one is actually in Dirty Money Spoiler A success story for the shorter <laughs> um, The Valiant uh, uh, company, so its business model is the Martin Shkreli model Which again is a lot of different companies Shkreli is just the fall guy for this business model um, but just uh, uh, two cases, two heart medications. The um, United States House Committee looked into this. Two heart medications it had just bought the rights to sell, Nitropress and Isopril. Valiant had raised the, raised the prices of Nitropress by 212% and Isopril by 525%. I this thought is, Nitropress was an energy drink. I thought that... <laughs> uh, People it, need that to yeah, live. come on. It acquired Salix Pharmaceuticals in 2015. It raised the price of the diabetes pill, uh, Glumataz, uh, about 800% in one year. Uh, again, 
this is all totally fine. Like Wall Street loves this. Right. What actually did Valiant in and crash the the the, um, the stock price, the Senate looking into uh, and the House looking into it didn't help. But what really did it was massive accounting fraud. And uh, mm. oh, really? Yeah. So what happens is in October 2015, um, a short seller activist um, looks into this. Uh, Citro Research, run by Andrew Left, who's a, a he publishes a short seller newsletter warning about companies he believes are fraudulent. So he looks into this company, and in October 2015, uh, he finds out that um, Valiant has been secretly buying up different pharmacies, not disclosing them, and then apparently billing. Uh, different pharmacies that it owns, sending uh, billings between them, uh, just essentially engaging in accounting fraud to buff up its numbers. Um, like it, it owns Philidor. It bought Philidor uh, Pharmacy without disclosing it. And then finally, after this report comes out, the CEO at the time, Michael, Pier Michael Pearson, reveals that he had bought it. And, and you know, so he, they're buying all these pharmacies and not disclosing them and sending invoices between the different companies. And what actually came, what, what finally brought this to light, as my understanding is, they also, <laughs> it's kind of funny. So they bought Philidor Pharmacy. They bought another pharmacy based in California called R&O Pharmacy. Mm -hmm. And then R&O files a court action suing Valiant because they receive an invoice from them for 60, 69 million dollars uh, but the weird thing is nice yeah so <laughs> <laughs> they, they receive this invoice from Valiant just a note Stephen looked at me like you're gonna take this one <laughs> <laughs> he, he gave the room a look like I, I, I see a ball is that I'm gonna kick it <laughs> Uh, they received this invoice for $69 million, uh, from Valiant, but Val uh, it should have been sent from Philidor, which Valiant owns, but because R&O had no idea... Uh, they sued for like possible fraud, and then this whole thing gets exposed. For four twenty million. Yes, but the <laughs> the funny the funny part of the story was is Valiant actually owned both Philidor and Arno, the company that was suing it. Oh wow! It was just like essentially they were doing fraud and they fucked up and they sent an invoice <laughs> yeah. on the wrong letterhead. But it's it's also fucking friendly fire, right? So it's it's the Citro re research report is pretty fascinating, but it kind of goes through like all these different companies that they own all have like the same con contact phone number the exact same letterhead nice. uh you know and here's the office where we do fraud right, right. exactly <laughs> you know so it's like just very clear that um they're setting up phantom accounts and uh doing these kinds of things um but the funny thing is that after this report comes out um bill ackman doubles down he actually refers to the ceo uh he says the company actually sorry this is may 2015 uh, he refers to the company as a very early stage Berkshire, referring to uh, wa uh, Warren Hathaway's company. Warren and Buffett's Warren Berkshire Buffett. Hathaway. <laughs> yes, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Man. Uh, but he proclaims its CEO, uh, Michael uh, Pearson. We get Tom Hathaway on. <laughs> Michael Pearson as a Warren Buffett of pharmaceuticals. Um, and basically, he uh, def after this report comes out, Bill Ackman doubles down. He defends the company to his shareholders. He says, uh, you know, the investments of this company are worth more than they're um, uh, being valued at, even though this massive fraud is going on. So it was, more, you know it was more of a late stage Berkster. Right. <laughs> you know what the shareholders said? What's that? You know, I went to a tough school in Queens. And <laughs> they used to beat up the little Jewish boys. 
Um, but basically, uh, uh, Bill Ackman gets hauled before the Senate. Uh, he comes onto the board to try uh, try and save this company in March 2016. He gets hauled before the Senate, and both him and his defenders engage in this whole, we had no idea what was going on. We only got into the board in 2016 and started looking around. But it's like going into it, he knew their entire business model was um, jacking up the price of drugs and we talked a bit about this on the Sackler episode the Sackler family episode with uh, what they did with Purdue Pharma and Oxycontin and stuff where it's like these are evil shitty people but it's more important to ask the question why do we have a system that rewards people being evil and shitty and as long as you put the profit motive in, in medicine the entire incentive is to jack up the price of drugs in another case Valiant bought a, a pill that was more than 30 years old and jacked the price up 3,000%. Sean. So it's like, what is what value are they creating for the economy by doing this? Sean, it's like you haven't even heard of innovation. <laughs> Greed is good. Yeah. Uh, it's but, an efficient outcome. Yeah. Like, if as long as it's not your income that's going down, that, yeah. was, that was efficient. They, they it need, is your income. There's some marketing inefficiency there. They need this system because without monetary rewards, innovation does not exist. Yeah. Um, but so Valiant, uh, because of this massive accounting fraud and, uh, you know, they get, uh, accurate, um, accounting innovation, Ackman gets hauled before Thank and the, you, Andy. Ackman Thank and the CEO gets hauled before the Senate and they get grilled about the price increases. There's a funny clip with like Carl Levin price being like, innovation. Uh, I think it was Car Senator Carl Levin was like, you know, if you just increased the price 30% a year, you still would have got healthy profits instead <laughs> of this 500% a year. And I do love that the like the soft bigotry of low expectations. Yeah. Like you can still deliver to shareholders by you know squeezing heart uh, uh, failure patients by only thirty percent a year instead of five hundred percent a year. And behind the microphone, you just see Bill Ackman go like, "Yeah," <laughs> like he just kind of gives this little nod, like. I mean, you got a good point. He's like, what about 60% a year? <laughs> <laughs> you had a nickel and dime. They're negotiating like but so, uh, 70, 50, 60, done. But so Valiant collapses uh, with the price gouging and then the massive accounting fraud. Two Valiant executives are charged criminally. As of October 2016, Bloomberg reported that the U.S. prosecutors were looking into charging the CEO, uh, Michael Pearson, uh, I can, I can just with see fraud. Like during those hearings, the senators being like, "You're making it real hard for us to drag our feet on health care." Um, but so uh, uh, the CEO Michael Pearson has not yet been charged with fraud, but maybe he will be. Probably not. Um, but basically, uh, and it costs Bill Ackman four billion dollars for his hedge fund investors, and since that time, he's been losing a lot of money. And it, again, it is just kind of funny because he acts like he's like a victim of this when it's like you knew what the business model was right. going into it. It's like, oh, I'm so sorry you lost a bunch of money on your investment in the company that jacks up prices of life-saving <laughs> drugs because they were also doing fraud. But success, like, success is built on failure and also greed. I just like the idea of him like crying in the schoolyard about like, yeah, they said they were just doing uh, killing people by jacking up drug prices that they needed to live. I didn't know they were also doing massive accounting fraud. Uh, but yeah, so uh, uh, that's kind of brings you up to speed. Uh, and that uh, that Valiant uh, collapse happened concurrent with um, the uh, betting on zero case where he short sells Herbalife because, as we mentioned, Carl Icahn hates him. He buys up massive amounts of Herbalife, dries up the price. Um, the FTC looks into Herbalife. They ultimately find them about $200 million and they 
wag their finger at them and say they have to change some business practices, but ultimately not that much. So, uh, Bas- basically, what it looked like they did from the documentary to change their business practices is they stopped targeting Latino communities and just expanded. Only Russian immigrants. <laughs> they expanded to Vietnam. Like, there's this great part where they're talking about going to Vietnam and they're like, you know, people need jobs and people need food. And we kind of cover both of those on one thing. And it's like, oh. We America's finding new ways to destroy right, the people right. of Vietnam. <laughs> and it's like a clip from Mad Money, the Jim Cramer show. And oh, like Jim yeah. Cramer's just like, I, I'm not trying to be racist, but what do people in Vietnam need supplements for? And like, <laughs> he's not wrong, but it's just the worst way to fucking say that. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, the Herbalife Agent Orange flavor. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, so yeah, like he loses about a billion dollars on Herbalife. He loses four billion on Valiant, and uh, also and th- just and then just he for gets note. divorced, as right. we mentioned. He has to pay out a seven-figure divorce. So his net worth has more than fallen in half in the last few years. And as of April fifth, there's a New York Post story that about two thirds of Wait, all. Did you say seven-figure divorce? Yes. Yeah. Oh. Am I wrong? Is well, that... I mean, for a billionaire, that's you know, that's pocket change. Yeah, but there. So I've got the divorce. Yeah, dirt, yeah, yeah. As always. So he gets divorced. What at the end of last year? He gets divorced at the uh, end of uh, 2016. Two years. Yeah. Okay. And uh, apparently, uh, there's a documentary around well, that so called. Well, so Vanity Fair uh, says it's a betting nine on figure percent. <laughs> betting on fifty <laughs> uh, Vanity Fair says it's a nine figure divorce, which Ooh, I'm not even sure. Wow. That's a damn. How how could she get anyway? Did, did well, because he was worth 50, like 50. he was yeah. yeah he was like two and a half billion. So maybe she got half of it because there was no prenuptial. There was agreement. no prenuptial agreement. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's less than half. You so know what probably I'll say? like some hundred million. Never invest your money with a man who doesn't know to sign a prenup. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he gets a divorce from her. They've been married for between twenty five and twenty two years. All the articles are fucked up. Um, and they got three kids. Uh, Karen, uh, what's her last name? Herkovitz. Uh, mm. It was Ackman, but it's not anymore. Uh, she, yeah, it's her. Hersh. Her is it Herskovitz? Andy, can you read that? Uh, all I know Herskovitz. is that okay. she actually had this quote after the divorce. And I'm telling you, he's like the crybaby <laughs> in the schoolyard. You know, I went to a tough school in Queens. And uh, they used to beat up the little Jewish boys, I, and he was like one of these little Jewish boys. I can so like. There was an optimal level of bullying that he never got from Iken. Yeah, I feel. <laughs> um, so Karen is a landscape architect, and there's n- really zero information on her on the internet. Uh, and on one website, the Human Rights Watch website, uh, they talk about how she currently volunteers. She's partially responsible for a genocide. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They Go. talk about how she like volunteers to help a uh, fake chemical weapons attacks in <laughs> Syria <laughs> to start a war. <laughs> Um, Karen currently volunteers and serves on the board of directors of the High Line, as we all know. Uh, Steve was telling me earlier about how fucked up the High Line is. I don't know much well, of this. It's just hard to. It's hard for me to appreciate walking through the High Line, knowing what a huge giveaway it is to the developers for that area. For non-New Yorkers, it was uh, an elevated railroad track going through Manhattan, uh, originally for freight trains, and a group basically turned it into a very narrow park on top of the railroad track that's a cool idea until you go there and it's full of tourists and you can't walk anywhere (laughs) right and it used to be like substantially more affordable yeah live there and now it's all um like a lot of new york um like upscale condos yeah it's like private schools and shit upscale condos where you can you know go over to a park with an amphitheater that 
looks down upon traffic. Uh, that's a feature of the High Line is there's stadium seating viewing traffic. And so Bill Ackman is now Dayton's girl, uh, Nary Oxman, and uh, apparently they were fucking for a little bit. But however, now all the articles are about how Brad Pitt is having sex with this Nary Oxman lady. And yesterday, Extra said it's a rumor, but now today, fucking <gasps> Yahoo says, oh yeah, they're, they're fucking all right. What? Wait, Brad Pitt's cucking Bill Oh, man. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty great. But that is sad. When if I... you're Brad Pitt, by the way, that is totally your retirement plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, but is, I think the it, main thing I want to get across from these divorce and this relationship is Bill Ackman does not eat the butt. Doesn't eat not. the butt. No. I don't think so. <laughs> He's a weak billionaire. He doesn't have that much money. Brad Pitt cucked the fuck out of him. And more importantly... Carl Icahn cucked him, too. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Carl here. Icahn eats the butt. <laughs> <laughs> He only eats butt. <laughs> he like he sit, he enters into agreement to eat butt and then reneges on it. <laughs> um, I'm gonna destroy this ass like those Jewish boys at my school. <laughs> Wait, I didn't agree to that. You're supposed to destroy my ass. Come on, let's get <laughs> so to it. This is schmuck insurance. <laughs> but um, uh, it is sad when um, Extra and Yahoo are arguing because who do you trust? <laughs> Um, but uh, uh, last thing on Valiant Pharmaceuticals, after this massive uh, accounting fraud and these uh, terrible price gouging practices, um, they are actually, they're still in business. They're operating they're as sounding a, a little less Valiant. <laughs> as of today, uh, April um, 2018, they're selling for about $17 a share. Um, and the CEO has said they are going to do the most important thing possible for a company that has been in the midst of scandals to restore trust with consumers. Uh, would you guys like to guess what that is? Yes. They're going to change the name. Oh, rebranding, uh, baby. That's what America does best. Yeah. According to the New York Post in May 2017, the CEO says they are very serious about looking at alternative names. (laughs) 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 To to the consumers who say they've lost trust in us, I say one more. Uh, (laughs) One more turn of the screw. That's my favorite. Is Spectrum taken? (laughs) It's my favorite thing about America is our cable companies just change their name every 10 years (laughs) and our, you know, mercenary killing companies just change their name every time like people (laughs) open up on a crowded traffic intersection (laughs) and kill 20 people. The first time I'd I'd seen that was... They changed their name from Valiant to Blackwater. (laughs) 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 It's It's not being used anymore. They have a better reputation than us. Um... Oh, just kind of a, a fun story if um, we're kind of bouncing around here. Um, but um, uh, Bill Ackman um, is actually, it's interesting, like all these people kind of know each other. So Bill Ackman um, is friends with a guy named Ezra Merkin, who um, was a feeder for Bernie Madoff. Like he would steer client money into Bernie Madoff, Ezra Merkin would. Um, and so in January 2009, Ackman defends his longtime friend Ezra Merkin saying, Quote, has Ezra committed a crime? I don't think so. I think Merkin is an honest person, an intelligent person, an interesting person, a smart investor. And uh, again, just to put this in context, uh, Ezra Merkin has been charged uh, with civil fraud by the state of New York for secret, for quote, secretly steering $2.4 billion in client money into Bernie Madoff's Ponzi fund without their permission. So he got people to lose about two and a half billion dollars he eventually uh had to pay out a 405 million dollar settlement to victims but he's still a millionaire 
uh, wow. because there's there's consequences for these people. Um, and uh, a random fun story that I found while researching this, uh, Ezra Merkin lives at 740 Park Avenue, which has been uh, called the uh, uh, most valuable apartment in the world. 740 Park Avenue, David Koch lives there. You need at least $100 million in liquid assets in order to be seen by the co-op board. But on April 2016, uh, Ezra Merkin, uh, somebody... Uh, was using his sauna at the place to what? store. Yeah, he was using his sauna to store clothes and books. I'm quoting from the Daily Mail here, and uh, I think a staff member turned on the sauna while the clothes and books were in there and started a uh, massive fire in <laughs> Seven Party Park <laughs> Avenue. And the great thing is, like, it fucks over a bunch of other rich people. I think uh, Steve Mnuchin had to like stay in a hotel or something. Um, oh man, Damn. so props to that woke ass agent. By the way, this is the third Netflix doc documentary that uh is involved in this story because there's also one on 740 uh, called park, park called park avenue that yeah focuses on 720 park with the idea that like just one mile down on park avenue is one of the poorest neighborhoods in the bronx in yeah. the bronx yeah um but so Wait, really yeah, yeah, that's yeah. so fucked up. Yeah, the Daily Mail article goes through like all the different uh, billionaire uh, and multimillionaire. Watch uh, those rich people have to live near those poor people. You know, it's so <laughs> fucked up. It goes through all the different units that had fire damage. Like they say, fashion designer Vera Wang uh, it was choked by smoke and fumes. <laughs> Um, but I, I love, uh, although the Coke, uh, David Coke's property, his and his wife's, uh, escaped fire damage, they were, quote, uh, uh, hoses drenched the homes of the Cokes and real estate mover and shaker Andrew Stone. And then um, uh, later, uh, David Koch's wife, Julia Flesher, fell in the dark and gloomy lobby and broke multiple bones. Owned. I don't know if that was actually related to the fire, though. <laughs> the Round. title of this article was 0% sympathy. <laughs> Round winning kill. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, that's just it's a like, fun story. Hey, this will bring you a smile. Quote from Fire, wish we could have finished them. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just kind of funny. Turns out the uh, Fire is now uh, pulling ahead in the mayoral <laughs> race for New York, ahead of Bill de Blasio. It is kind of funny. Like, maybe this is what this guy was trying to do to redeem himself for, like, steering all this mo- all this Jewish charity money into, like, Bernie Madoff. Right, right. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I'm going to drench David Koch in <laughs> hose water. <laughs> I will say that, who did you say turned on the sauna? Like uh, an assistant? It's, it just said a member of his staff. Okay. Hero. In, in, yeah. yeah, yeah. In, in, the, in the Park Avenue documentary, they, they uh, interview a bellhopper, someone who worked for the Coke, or who worked, a doorman who worked yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. They blurred out his face and everything. Yeah, yeah. And he was saying like, yeah, you know, I thought that on uh, Christmas, you know, we're going to get, I'm working for these rich people. I'm going to get a lot of money. So, you know, on Christmas, they had us move all this stuff into their limousines, you know, for their uh, big vacation. And uh, then they gave, uh, David Coke gave me a $50 tip in the form of a check. (laughs) What? And you just think like something happened to that staffer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It'd be yeah, funny. I had to check and make sure the sauna was working, and then I went off to, you know, polish your silver, and there was a fire. <laughs> the article says it was started by a staff member and DSA member. <laughs> um, but so, it's more yeah. of an ML. Yeah. Marxist-Leninist. <laughs> it's an anarchist. <laughs> um, but we're, yeah. We're at an hour nine. Yeah, okay. So, um... <laughs> 
you let, know. Let me rephrase that. I've only got four minutes more of memory on this card. All right. And so, I have to go and... and he's got, you know, Steve's got to yeah, go, we, too. We, yeah. we got to clear this up. Okay, so uh, just like a couple other random stories. Um, Joe Biden wanted to punch Bill Ackman in the face uh, because... I guess uh, they were at some dinner at, interestingly enough, Anthony Scaramucci hosts an annual conference for hedge funds. The Mooch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so in Vegas, they were at this dinner together. And then it was originally a p- reported that uh, uh, that Biden was crying, talking about his dead son. Uh, and then uh, he said, I can't talk anymore. And Bill Ackman said, well, that never stopped you before. Whoa, what? And unfortunately, uh, multiple witnesses have said that's not actually what happened. No. But I love the idea oh, of that. Man. He was just like so bitter going through this divorce. <laughs> he was like <laughs> shitting on Biden. But apparently the actual story was that um, Biden says uh, he was like talking about Trump. And he's like, I said, uh, I, I shouldn't uh, say anymore. And what uh, Ackman says, you know, well, that's never stopped you before. And Biden apparently says, who's this wise ass? And he says, do you want to take this outside? And he later called him an asshole to his friends. (laughs) So, you know, just kind of a fun little anecdote from the uh, page six of the New York Post. Um, Ackman's also said that uh, in November 2016, when Donald Trump was elected, he said, quote, I was extremely bullish on Trump, believe it or not. By the way, Biden was so distraught by that interaction. He, uh, Gave five women a shoulder squeeze that night. <laughs> uh, so in November 2016, Ackman says, The U.S. is the greatest business in the world. It's been undermanaged for a very long period of time. We now have a businessman as president. <laughs> and, you know, maybe he's kissing up to Donald Trump, but clearly it doesn't work because his fund has underperformed the S&P 500 by 20% a year for the last three years. Well, he was right. kissing up to Donald Trump while doing this, like, I'm here to protect the Latino community. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course he was. We're uh, building walls between one another that I'm tearing down <laughs> to tear down Herbalife. Uh, but yeah, so um, Bill Ackman, uh, we will follow up on this guy uh, because I think his hedge fund is going to go under just like his previous one did. As we mentioned, April uh, this month, uh, the New York Post reported that about uh, two thirds of all eligible people are pulling their money out mm-hmm. um, because he's been underperforming the market. And just another fun story about what is the kind of wealth transfer scheme between bourgeoisie uh, hedge funds are. Um, this is just Wikipedia. But December 2012, Pershing uh, Square Capital Management launches a closed end uh, end fund called Pershing Square Holdings. Uh, as a closed-end fund, it was uh, designated as a permanent capital vehicle from which investors would not be able to directly withdraw funds. It gets about $3 billion, uh, and it has reported uh, 17.1% in return since, in- inceptions, which it w- since inception, which is 80, 80% below the S&P 500. So again... They take $3 billion of investor funds. They say, no, you can't withdraw it. And then they underperform the S&P 500 by 80%. And, uh, you know. So I think we all agree. Bill Ackman, although he uh, does something kind of good. We're literally in our last seconds. Uh, He's also a major piece of shit. Doesn't he? But, obviously. And... more importantly, uh, uh, just just sucks as a person. All right. In got, conclusion, and I'm telling you, he's like the crybaby in the schoolyard. You know, I went to a tough school in Queens, and they used to beat up the little Jewish uh, boys, and he was like one of these little Jewish boys. Before we go, I just want to say thank you to our listeners. We crossed a, a thousand listens, oh, yeah. and uh, it was very thank fantastic you. of everyone. Uh, if you like our podcast, I don't know, tell a friend maybe. Uh, other than that, you guys are amazing. We'll put out more content on the internet soon. Uh, we're at our last 20 seconds. Uh, with that, I believe I'm Yogi Polywall. I'm Eddie Palmer. Uh, Stephen Jeffries. I'm Sean McCarthy. Good night.
Isopril was 2183 for 10.5 milliliter vials. Um, it's now $17,901. Um, that's, that's in about a year and a half time. Why would you not recommend to the board that, you know, over a 30% increase for one year? I would think that's, that's a pretty good return rate. Um, why don't you charge 3000 for that? Look, it's something we'll discuss tomorrow. You will discuss dropping the price of isopril to 3000 because that's over a 30% um, increase in the original price. So we will absolutely discuss it. Okay. Uh, Nitropress went from 214 to $880 for one two milliliter vial. Um, a 30% increase, again, a, a, a pretty good shot, would be about 300 bucks. Will you talk about that as well? At the for board? sure. 